Hey, listen, welcome to church, and I want to welcome all of our uh, global fam and those at the correctional facilities that are watching this. We just greet you. We welcome you. If it's your first time here at X Church, we're excited to have you. And man, I'm so excited because it feels like summer's here. How many of you are so grateful for the weather that we have right now? Can I just... Can I just say, listen, I don't know, some, someone might be watching this on YouTube, and it might be the year 2023, and it could be 30 below wherever you are, but right now where we are, it's gorgeous, okay? And so we're grateful for that here in Ohio, and uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for summer. When I think about summer, I do think about summer blockbuster movies. Like, I, I want to get back to that where they release these epic movies every single summer, and I don't know if... You love movies or not. And a matter of fact, I don't know what kind of movie is your favorite. Maybe I thought we could just, just real quick on the count of three, everybody shout out your favorite type of movie. It could be a drama. It could be a rom-com. It could be um, an animated. It could be action. It could be whatever, comedy. Just on the count of three, your favorite kind of movie, shout it out loud. One, two, three. Uh, all right. I don't even, I heard things that I don't even think are categories. I don't even know. Now, you'll probably never guess this, but... My favorite type of movies are action movies. Is there anybody here who loves action movies? Come on, hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love action movies. My wife does not love action movies so much, but I love action movies. And uh, so it's natural that I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about in church for the next several weeks. Because we're actually going to be looking at a single book of the New Testament, and it's called the book of Acts. Can you get any idea where you get that connection? See, I like action movies, and the book of Acts is all about action. It's about the action of the first church. And you know what? I love this, this concept of this book because it is a powerful story that is still being written. I want you to understand that about the church. It's a story that goes all the way back to the time of Jesus that I believe is still being written, and it still affects you and me today. You know, a lot of people think that maybe our church here, X Church, got established in 2003. Can I just tell you, our church did not get established in 2003. It got established in 33. It goes all the way back that far. We are an extension of the very thing that Jesus said would be unstoppable. And so I want us to dive into this. As we look at stories through this book of Acts, and if you want to find it, Go ahead and get your Bible out or electronic device. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1 here in a moment. As we look at these stories, I believe that we can learn something about life today in a church community. Because we are just an extension. You and I are part of the story that began with the book of Acts. And it is still being written today with us. And I believe there are things that God wants to show us in this narrative. Now, before we go to Acts 1, so if you're there, just put your finger there, a place or bookmark it. I actually need to make a pit stop in Matthew chapter 16, okay? I'm going to show you, and it's going to make sense when we get done. But I need to make a pit stop in Matthew chapter 16, and I want to share about a moment that Jesus had with his disciples that's actually very important for our understanding of where we're going in the book of Acts. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, let me read it. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, you know, we've heard some people think you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, but what about you? He asked, what do you, who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my what? Everybody say that word out loud. I will build my, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, that's awesome, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, now Jesus asked kind of a, um, kind of a dangerous question. He asked a question that he's really confident in, but I would just caution you if you would ever want to um, ask this kind of question to your friends or people around you. He basically asked him this question. What are people saying about me? Now, that's not something I want to know the answer to. I, I don't, I don't want to know what people are saying about I'd rather stick my head in the sand and just not even know. But Jesus is bold enough and confident enough, and he says, in this moment, who, who do people think I am? And, uh, they, you know, his disciples, they hear the rumors, they know what's going on, and so they're like, well, Jesus, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist, which is funny to me because Jesus and John the Baptist walked the earth at the same time. In fact, John baptized Jesus, so I don't know how he'd be him, but people thought he was John the Baptist, maybe back from the dead. Some people th said Elijah, because Elijah was an incredible prophet of the Old Testament who did all these miracles, and so, you know, you, there's prophecies of Elijah will come, and so you must be Elijah or maybe one of the other prophets, and there's all this talk about who Jesus is. I, I think it's important that he asks this question because here's what I believe, that this one question, as he turns it on them and says, well, who do you say that I am, is the most important question we will ever wrestle with. And I know you, you might have like big philosophical questions and ideas about life and and, and some of us think they're so big, we're, you know, we're asking questions like, how did, you know, how did we get here as humans? How did this planet get here? How did our world get here, our universe? These are big questions. What's the meaning of life? You know, you might be asking all these big philosophical questions. Can I just tell you, none of those questions matter near as much as the question about who Jesus is. Because see, these big questions, we've been asking them for thousands of years and we have no answer, yet Jesus walked this earth. He came and showed up and was right in front of us. And so he's saying, I showed up, so now I'm asking you, who do you say that I am? Right? This is a question he asks. I, I think that's a great question for all of us. In fact, can I ask you that same question? I, I want to look at the camera to somebody who's watching this right now. Can I ask you that same question? Who do you say Jesus is? Who's Jesus to you? See, I, I find that there's all kinds of great answers about Jesus. And, and maybe you're here, maybe you're in the room, you're watching this and you go, I, I don't know, I'm curious and I've explored a lot of different religions and I've read things and he said some pretty great things and, you know, I put him in that category. He was a great leader, or, I guess, and teacher and religious guy and I, I don't know, who do you say that Jesus is? You, you know what I find is, I find that a lot of times that answer for us has been informed by the culture around us. Kind of like the disciples, when they, he said, who do people say I am? Well, some say you're this, and some say you're a great teacher, and some say you're a miracle worker, and some say you're this. And a lot of times, our answer to that is actually informed by things that we've been told, by what a pastor said, or a Sunday school teacher said, or about your mom or your grandmother's faith, and we've kind of adopted it, and so we're just like, I don't know, he's Jesus, he's, I believe in him, he's God, and all, all these things. Can I just ask you, no, 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 for yourself, who do you say that he is? 
You see, my story is that for the first 17 years of my life, I grew up in church, around church. I heard every story about Jesus, and I was told who Jesus was. But let me just tell you, by the way I lived my life, it did not change anything. It wasn't until I had an encounter with him that something changed. It wasn't until I was at a youth camp, 17 years old, where I got down on my knees And in that moment, I received Jesus as the one true God, the Savior of my life, the way to heaven. In that moment, can I tell you that the moment I made that profession of my faith, everything changed. And so why I say this is the most significant question ever, here's why I say that. Because it has the potential to change your future. How do I know this? Because it changed Simon's. He asked that question, and and I imagine in that moment everybody's quiet and nobody wants to get the wrong answer, except for Simon. You know, we know him as Peter because of this moment, but Simon, he speaks up. And and I love Simon in this moment. He He just blurts it out. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, that's a bold statement to make. I mean, that is... You know, that is a massive statement. Basically says, you're you're not just a good teacher. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a great man. I'm saying you literally came from heaven. You are the son of God. You're the Messiah we've been waiting for, the one who's going to rescue us. You're the way. That's what he said. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Simon, son of Jonah. He said, you did not just pick this up from Culture, you did not just pick this up from around. He said, the way you know this is because my Father in heaven revealed it to you. And he, he did something interesting in this moment. He called him Simon, son of Jonah. And then he looked at him after he got the answer right. And he said, from now on, you're going to be Peter. I'm going to call you Peter. Now, we can look at this moment where God changes his name from Simon to Peter and, you know, we can look at it like, hey, this was, it's kind of like he gave him his nickname. This is like his, his MMA nickname or his WWE stage name, you know. It's kind of like, well, they have Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So I guess this is Simon the Rock, Peter, you know, Galilee or Capernaum, whatever you want to say, you know. Th- this, is, this is not Jesus giving him a nickname, a cool name. Eh, Simon's all right, but Peter, you know, that's a name like, you know. No, this is Jesus giving him a new name. Listen, I believe that represented his original identity and his purpose. This was significant. He says, I'm going to call you Petros, rock. I mean, and no longer are you going to be Simon, son of Jonah. Now, this is what's interesting. This is the only place in all of the scriptures that I could find where Simon is referenced as Simon, son of Jonah. It's the only place you can find. Um, now, you need to understand, back then, they didn't really have surnames like Moore, you know, like I'm Tim Moore. They didn't, they didn't have surnames like that. They would have a name, and then they would be known and, and distinguished by their family or father's name, okay? And so if you see someone, and imagine they're sitting in class, and the teacher's calling roll, and there's a bunch of Simons, well, they've got to just, you know, okay, Simon, son of Fred, are you here? Oh, you're here. Simon, son of Bill, Simon, son of Jonah, there you are. That's how they understood people back then. They knew who they were. But I actually, I actually wondered why he had to call him Simon, son of Jonah in this moment. 
Now you could say, well, there's another Simon who's one of his disciples, and there is. But that Simon didn't speak up. It was clear who he was talking to. Why did he call him Simon, son of Jonah? I actually think there's a really deep meaning to it. You you see, the word Simon, the name Simon means to listen or to hear. So if anybody heard the name Simon, that's what your name means. It means to listen or to hear. But he didn't just call him Simon. He said, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, the name Jonah, the word Jonah means mire, muddy ground, or shifting sand. That's what Jonah means. And, and so he said, okay, Simon, son of Jonah, I'm going to call you Peter, which, by the way, means rock. Okay, I, I was studying this, and all of a sudden a light bulb went off. I thought, wait a minute, is Jesus saying something deeper here? And it made me go back in my mind to Matthew 7, when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you ever heard that sermon. It's, I think it wasn't just one time. I think it was probably Jesus' most preached sermon. He would kind of preach the same message town to town, group to group. And in this one sermon, he ended it with this like illustration, this picture about people who respond to his message. Maybe, maybe you know this. You might, might be familiar when I say it. He talked about two types of builders. He said, there's someone who builds on sand, okay? Here's what he said about the person who builds on shifting sand. He said, the person who builds on shifting sand, this is a foolish person who hears my words but doesn't put them into practice. No, I don't want you to see this. So what was he saying? He says, to the person who is like Simon, who hears but doesn't actually act or do anything with it. They are someone who built their house on Jonah, shifting sand, mud that moves. But to the person who hears what I've taught and then receives it with truth, so much so that they act and do something with it, that person builds their house on the what? On the rock, are you seeing it? So he looks at Peter, who's known as Simon, son of Jonah, shifting sand. You hear things. You kind of don't follow through. You don't do stuff. And he looks at him and says, ah, from now on, you're Peter. From now on, you're Peter. And what did Jesus say? I'm going to build my church. And so so we're going to build our church, but but I'm going to do it on a foundation that is rock. Now, I want you to understand that when Jesus said that I'm going to build my church and on Peter, this rock, the foundation, he's not saying that the church is built on Peter. He's saying, I'm going to use you, Peter, to launch the church because we all know that the foundation, the cornerstone of the church is Jesus himself. And, And I believe there's actually a double reference going on here. There's not just the name, but to understand, I think, the depth of what Jesus was actually saying in this moment, you have to understand the context. You see, I read to you in verse 13 that it said Jesus and his disciples traveled to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was an area, it was actually called Mount Hermon, that was, uh, it was captured, taken kind of power for Rome by a guy named Philip. 
And so it was renamed Caesarea Philippi. Now, there's something interesting. When I got to travel to Israel and they took us to Caesarea Philippi, it was fascinating and it brought this incredible context to this moment. In fact, when I was there, I took a couple pictures and I want to show you. Go ahead and throw the first picture. Here's a picture of what it looks like at Caesarea Philippi. It's this huge rocky area, rock face, rock ground. This is where Jesus and his disciples were when this moment happened. When Jesus is looking at them and he's thinking about rocks. And he says, I'm going to call you Peter, Petros, which means rock. But there was a deeper meaning in my understanding of this. Because what happened here at Caesarea Philippi was also important. That in this very place where they were was a place of pagan worship. In fact, there was on these grounds, right where over you see all those people, was a level ground where at the time Jesus would have been there was a temple or a place of worship that was constructed and built to the God of Pan. It was part of Roman mythology. There was this God called Pan that they built a structure of worship in this place. Now, you need to understand what happened in this place because they would do some atrocities, just atrocities would, hard to imagine took place here. And, and I don't know if you notice, as you look at this picture, but on the far corner, there's a, a cave. In fact, I got another picture that it, maybe we can skip to that one. I took a close-up of that picture right there in the corner. This right here was a cave that water was in the bottom of it. Water would come out of the mountain into the bottom of this cave. And they believed that it was in a cave like this, as the worship of God Pan, that it was the gate to the underworld was through that cave, okay? The gate to the underworld. Why is this important? Because what did Jesus say when he said, I will build my church? He said, I will build my church, and he said, the gates of Hades. This literally was known as the gates of Hades. The gates of Hades will not be able to overcome it. Now, what's, what's really crazy about this is that in this area, in this place, and in this place of worship, they believed that there was access to the underworld through this gate. And they would do some really awful things where they would sacrifice infants and babies to the God of Pan and thought they were doing them a favor when they would kill them and throw them into the cave as a sacrifice, believing their spirit would go to the underworld. And they would literally believe this when they saw the blood that would flow because it was an underground river that came back up into other areas, that when they would see the blood come up, that that child made it to the underworld. This was the very place where Jesus made this declaration. Now, I am not going to ruin for you guys and draw a distinction or a connection to a very well-known Disney movie because I don't want to mess this up for you and your favorite childhood film, one that we love called Peter Pan. I'm not even going to draw a connection, okay? You can do your own research. It's a little weird. But here it is in this moment where they're thinking about the gates of Hades and this idol worship where Jesus says, I'm making a prediction, guys. You see all this temple and all this? I'm going to build something called my church 
that not even the gates of Hades will be able to stop this. Not even this worship and this place and what you're looking at, this is, listen, this is gonna come and go, but what I'm gonna build is gonna last forever. He basically said, my church will be unstoppable. Can I just tell you that what you're a part of today is a part of that same movement that Jesus said that I will build and nothing's gonna stop it? Can I tell you that nations have come and nations have gone? And empires have come and empires have gone. And rulers have come to power and rulers have gone. And dynasties have come and dynasties go. But the church still remains. Organizations come and go. Governments come and go. But the one thing that's still here that you and I are a part of is the church of Jesus Christ. The only thing he said that I will build. And he said it will be unstoppable. And not even the most demonic activity will be able to stop it. It won't, it won't be able to stop it. I'm, I'm going to build something. You see, the only way that you can predict and guarantee that what you build is unstoppable is if you're unstoppable. And, and when the devil thought that he had stopped him on the cross, God reminded him on the third day, you can't stop this. You can't stop this. And that brings us to Acts chapter 1. I need you to understand that before we dive into a story about what Jesus said he would build. And the book of Acts, if you're there, is the fifth book of the New Testament. It was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician. I, I like how the physician approaches his writings because, you know, he's educated, he's smart, he cares about details, he cares about cause and effect, he cares about all these things, he's a doctor. And Luke wrote um, a gospel account of Jesus, and he, he wrote this account, we, we don't know exactly fully why, but to some kind of like a diplomat or magistrate, a guy named Theophilus, which we're not really sure in history who that was, but, but Luke set out to write an account of Jesus' life, that's where we have the gospel of Luke. This is the sequel. This is him now writing the second part of the story, the church. But what you need to understand about this, Luke didn't just write this 15 years, 30 years, 60 years later, 80 years later. Luke lived this. Luke, this is part of his story. Luke was a contemporary. He walked on the earth when Jesus walked on the earth. Luke traveled with Paul and part of this through missionary journeys. He had his first hand eyewitness account of the things that happened. And so I, I think there's so much to Luke and what he wrote down in Acts chapter one. I wanna pick up in verse one. We'll just go ahead and start there. It's a great place to start. Acts chapter one, verse one. Luke said this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I love about this historical account of the church is that Luke describes that before Jesus ever left this earth, 
he gave convincing proofs that he was alive. He, he appeared to people. He said over 40 days, in fact, the apostle Paul would come later and tell us there was one moment when Jesus appeared to over 500 men and women at one time. Jesus went around and was like, hey, you see this? You see this? You see this? That's me. They killed me. I'm back. He went around and he gave, I love that because listen, my faith does not rest, it's not a fable. My faith does not rest on just, you know, well, you know, maybe Jesus and his disciples, they said the body was gone and they've kind of concocted the story. No, Jesus in that time showed up to hundreds of people and said, I'm here. He gave convincing proofs that people could check in that day. And, and when he gathered with them, he gave them a command. He said, I need you to stay and wait in Jerusalem until you receive a package from heaven. My father is going to airmail you a gift from heaven that you are going to need for what I'm sending you to do. This is what he said in this moment. And he gave them their marching orders. This is what I love in this moment. He gives them their marching orders. Now, before I read on, I just need you to know this because you're about to hear a question that the disciples ask him. Stay and wait. You'll know when it's time. When they hear that, they think, oh, time for, oh, oh it's, it's time, time for war? Time for, oh, it's time for Israel. It's time for us. Oh, is this it? We've been waiting on the Messiah to come. That's what they thought. That we know that because verse 6 says this. It says, then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. I love verse 8. It's our key verse. This is the key verse of all of Acts. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be what? Everybody say it out loud. You will be my witnesses. Say it out loud again. Come on. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, here's what they asked, and here's their confusion. So you have to understand that the disciples grew up having uh, nursery rhymes and, and fairy tale stories that there weren't really fairy tales, but they were prophecies about a Messiah. And so I imagine their parents would always tell them about, hey, listen, one day God's going to rescue us. One day God's going to send a deliverer. You know how he sent Moses? And they'd tell the stories, God's going to send our deliverer. God's going to send a Messiah. He's, he's going to pick one, choose one. That means anointed one. And he's going to send them from heaven. And they're going to rescue us and restore us. And so when they hear Jesus, because they've probably been for three years thinking, all right, is it time? Is it time, do we, do we revolt against the Romans, the Roman oppression? Do we, is this a time when, when we become a nation again? Is this a time when we kind of get established on the global economy? Is this the moment? And then now they're at the end. Jesus died. All their hopes went. They came back. To, okay, all right, it's back on. Here we go. Do you want us to send couriers to the far reaches of Israel and gather everybody else to go fight? And Jesus looks at him and goes, stop. You're getting it all wrong. Stop thinking. Here's what I love that Jesus did. In this one moment, he narrowed their focus and he expanded their vision. 
What did he do? He narrowed their focus and expanded their vision. You are thinking about your kingdom and you're thinking about politics and you're thinking about your nation and you're thinking about Israel and you're thinking about the Jewish people once again getting back on the global map and you're thinking about all of these things. Stop thinking about your kingdom and start thinking about mine. He said, I need to narrow your focus. And I've, I've long wondered if Jesus were to show up in the 21st century in his church today, I wonder if he'd say the same thing. Hey, Tim, stop building your kingdom. Stop thinking about your life and your house and your retirement and your savings and what you can build and your career for yourself and your name and how many followers you have. And I wonder if Jesus would show up today and say to all of us, it's not about your kingdom, it's about mine. I was convicted by that because I, I, I think I, I tend to think a lot about, I go to church on Sunday and I spend the rest of the time thinking about what I'm building for myself. And in this moment, Jesus had to narrow their, he said, stop, no, 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 guys, guys, guys. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to be my witness. When you go to work, I, I just want you to walk into work as if I was there. When, when you go to school and you're in class, I just, I want you to represent what you saw and tell people, I'm real. I'm live. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I just want you to be my witness. That's all. I want you to be my witness when you go to the grocery store. Does that mean if I get really mad when I'm standing in a long line and I'm about to lose my temper? And yeah, you better think about it because I want you to be my witness. Is that what I would do? I just want you to, in every conversation where you're challenged by somebody with a different, I want you to love them like I love them. I just want you to be my witness. That's what he said. That's all I want you to do. Be my witness wherever you go. Just, just, it'll be like I go there. That's all I want you to do. And then I want you to notice that he gave them a plan because in this moment he narrowed their focus but he expanded their vision. He said, here's this, notice the movement of the plan. He said, here's what you're gonna, you're gonna start in your own backyard. You're gonna start in Jerusalem. Wait, stay in Jerusalem, and then it's going to start in Jerusalem. And to your own Jewish people, I want you to tell them about me. Those who haven't seen, I want you to tell them you saw it. I want you to start right here, but it's not going to stay there. There's movement to the plan. And then I want you to go to Judea, that's the region of Jerusalem, and then Samaria, that was the northern region, which together they made up all of the nation of Israel originally. And oh, by the way, the Samaritans were, they were of a different race. They, they, had, they had different descent and blood. They had... They were Jews and Gentiles. He said, start, okay, you can start with the Jews, but then I'm gonna send you to the Samaritans. They're, they're mixed race, they're Jewish and Gentile. Well, we don't like them, too bad. I love them. I'm sending you to them. And then he said, I want you to go from there all the way to Canal Winchester, Ohio. Yeah. I just want us to see that we're living in what Jesus said he would build. You're a part of what Jesus said he would build. I'm gonna build my church. Man, we're, we're a church. And the gates of Hades can't stop it. By the way, that came and went, but it's still here. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand, and here's the, the question and the challenge that I have for us. Why is it that Jesus said, I'm gonna establish a movement that's just gonna continue to flow Yet today in our culture, when we, we think about church, we think it's a place we go. Why is it that when we say, hey, 
where do you go to church? Oh, I go to X church or whatever church. Where do you go to church? Can I ask a question? Where did that come from? Where did this idea that the church has a single address, 6600 Biggerton Bend, where, where did that come from? Because that's not what it seemed like Jesus said. He said, I want you to go be my witness. Can, you see, it's kind of like what I think has happened to the church is that we become a little bit more of an establishment than a movement. That we think somehow it was his idea to establish a church on every single corner in every single city with every single denomination represented. And we think that's what he said he was going to build. That's the, I don't think what God was intending, what Jesus said I was going to build. Not an establishment, but a movement. And I don't know if somehow in our minds, growing up in culture, what we think about church is the place mom took us or dad took us, or maybe we, I'm going to go to that church and this is the place I go on Sundays. That's what it means to be part of the church, that we maybe miss a deeper meaning of what Jesus said he was going to build. See, I wonder if maybe in many ways we've reverted back to ancient culture before Jesus ever showed up. Because in ancient cultures, both in Jewish cultures in the Old Testament and pagan cultures, to worship God, you went to a place. You went to a tabernacle. You went to a temple. And it was in that place that God existed. And he was like, he was in there, but in the Jewish faith, you couldn't actually get to him. There was a curtain that separated you. Only a priest could go on your behalf. You couldn't go up the mountain. Moses did that. We say around the mountain. And it was about going to a place to meet God. But then when Jesus showed up and he gave his life for us on a cross, do you know what happened the moment he gave up his spirit? God went from heaven and went, and he swiped right down that curtain that separated man from the presence of God. It was torn in half, signifying that no longer does the presence of God only exist in a temple. It exists in this temple and that temple and your temple. And guess what? God went mobile. All of a sudden, God said, oh, no, 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 I'm going mobile. There's movement. There's movement. I didn't come to establish a building or a place. I came to start a movement. You, you need to understand this because this is really important because I think we need reframed most of us. I, I forget this at times. You know what Jesus said in uh, Matthew 16? That's why I gave you that context. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he used a very specific word. He used this word ecclesia. Ecclesia. I want everybody to say that word out loud. Just say it with me. Ecclesia. Come on, say it again. Ecclesia. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. That was the word that was used, that he used. Now, that word is actually a derivative of two words. It's a compound word in the Greek that means ek, means out. Kaleo means called. Here's what he said. I'm calling you out of your world, your life, your home, for a purpose. It was a term that sometimes they would use even in military army when it was time to call all the troops together to send them on a mission. The, the, literally, the word ecclesia means called out ones. This is, this is what Jesus said. He said, I will build my called out ones. I'm going to call you out, and then we get Acts 1, and I'm going to send you out. I'm calling you, and I'm sending you to go and be my witnesses. That's, that's, what, that's what we find out. But what happened that we go to church? Something changed. Something reverted back. What happened? What happened? What happened? Well, if you follow church history, you'll get some insight into it. Can I give you a little bit of church history? I don't know if this is boring or not, but I like it, so I'll do it. And I think it's important we understand. Sorry if you don't like this part. 
But in the first couple hundred years after this moment, the church began to grow. And we're going we're gonna to get into that. And the early Christians faced some of the worst persecution you could ever imagine. Um, they were living under Roman rule and emperors like Nero in the first century. Aurelius in the second century, Decius in the third. These emperors came to power and they were threatened by this movement. And they said, these people worship some other God, some other king. They don't worship Caesar. They don't worship our Roman gods. And so they, they began to persecute them. And um, this is where you get like the Colosseum and it was used for sport and games. And part of that is they would they would throw Christians out there and then they would release hungry lions on them for sport. They would crucify Christians. They would burn them at the stake. They, they killed and martyred people who had this foundational, foundational declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what they did. And this went on for about 200 years until an emperor came to power, his name was Constantine. And in 313 AD, Constantine issued a new law. It was called the Edict of Milan. The Edict of Milan was a new law that Constantine put in place that, listen, was there to protect religious freedom. His intention was to protect Christians from being persecuted. Now, can I tell you why he did that? It's because he became one. When the emperor of Rome becomes a Christ follower, things changed. And so shortly after that, the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as its official religion through Constantine. That, that it would be the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so what happened is this movement that Jesus started... Now we have a government leader who adopts it, and what happens is it became a formalized and institutionalized religion. This is not what Jesus said he built, but that's what happened, okay? And, and so the Romans got involved, and, and, and they adopted and modified a practice that was going on in the first 200 years. So in the first couple hundred years, when a Christ follower was martyred, that other Christians on the anniversary of their death would gather at their burial site and they would have kind of a worship moment where they would take communion. Remember what Jesus said about communion? He said, do this in remembrance of me and his death. And so they kind of, they took that and they would take communion and they have a worship moment right at the grave of a great hero of faith that was martyred. When it got institutionalized, by Rome, they had a, a really good knack for building things. And so they took these holy sites and they began to build structures or buildings as a place of worship. In fact, they're called a basilica. A basilica is a house of worship because they gathered originally to memorialize their death and so they built these structures and eventually got bigger and these cathedrals over the grave of great heroes of faith that were martyred. 
Now, some of you might be familiar with a really well-known one that, that exists today in Rome. When I was a teenager and I lived in Europe and one particular trip, we went and visited Rome. When we were there, we, we got to go see uh, this huge one where the Pope resides. I don't know if you know this. It's called St. Peter's Basilica. How many of you have ever seen St. Peter's Basilica? Okay, a few of you have actually been there. It's, it's beautiful. You should go see it. It's incredible, right? Why is it called St. Peter's Basilica? It's because, and you can go in it. You can go in it during Mass and other things. You go in it, and at the altar at the front where they perform all the service, there's, there's stairs that go down to catacombs where they actually believe that it was the bones of Peter, Simon's son of Jonah, Petros, that are buried under there that they built that site because that was the practice of what they did in the Roman Catholic. They would build a basilica. Now, okay, why does this matter? Because you have to understand that your Bible and my Bible in the English was not translated until way later, way later, okay? And in Gothic cultures um, that were derived from Germanic language, the word for basilica was kirika, kirika, which in modern German language, we're almost done with this lesson, so you can, you know, in modern German language is where we get the word kirche from. Where do you think we get the English word church from? It comes from the German word kirche. So here's what I want you to understand. Church comes from the Germanic word kirche. This is, this is how we got it. So when you read about the church and Jesus said, I will build my church, that's actually, listen, not a great translation of the word that was used. In fact, it's a substitution. Because of what I just told you in church history, that framed how modern English translators translated the word ecclesia. And you need to understand this if we're going to talk about the church for the next several weeks, okay? When Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, and every place you see in Acts where it talks about the church, it is not talking about a structure, a building, a place where you go, okay? Can I remind us what the definition, this is what I would say. What is the church? I would say it this way. The church is a community called out for a mission, what is a church? A church is not a building. It's not a structure. It's not 6,600 Biggerton Bend. The church is a community that was called out for a mission. What does that mean? That means you don't go to church if you believe Jesus is the Son of God. You need to understand something. You are the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. And I just think it's time that maybe we need to kind of reframe our understanding to say, I don't just go sit in church on Sunday. No, no, no. I am the church and I carry the presence of God with me every single place I go. I am the temple of the Lord. I am the living, moving, breathing church of Jesus Christ. And together we are the community that has been called out from our own lives and our own kingdom. And we've been called and given a purpose. Come on, stand up, everybody. Go ahead and just stand up. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I really am. But I get fired up by this because I just think if we, as a community here, could get this inside of us, if we would stop thinking, well, I just go to church, and we start realizing, I am the church. Next time someone says, where do you go to church? Say, I am X church. 
Just say, I am X church. Maybe we ought to make t-shirts that just say, I am X church. I am the church, okay? And so I want to ask us all this question as we close. And I kind of hope this lands kind of convicting. I hope it hits a little bit hard, kind of challenging, because I felt like I need this reminder. Is your life about movement or placement? Is your life about movement or placement? Is your life about, well, I, I go and I sit through an experience and I get to take my kids there. Is your life about that or is it about movement? It's about growth and it's about out of a flow of my life that I'm to be a witness of Jesus every place I go. You, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be able to stop it. And I was thinking about how also that just helps me out because I don't have to wear the responsibility that somehow I've got to build this church because I realized Jesus said he'll build this church. That's not on my shoulders, that's on his shoulders. All I need to do is be a witness. All our church community needs to do is be a witness of Jesus. That's all you need to worry about in your life. Do I got to do some big thing? No, be a witness for Jesus. But can I just say this? There is only one role in the church, and that's builder. There's one role in the church, and that's builder. There's not seat taker. There's not just a tender. There's not just member. There's one role in the church, and it's a builder. If you're a part of this church, you're a builder. I'm going to give you a hammer. I'm going to give you some nails. I'm going to give you somebody. You're a builder. You go build with your life. You're a builder. That's what we're called to do is build. Is build. And what do we build on? We build on this profession of our faith that I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. Come on, pray with me now. Everybody, head bow, eyes closed. I, I want in this moment that maybe there's somebody that's watching this, somebody that's right now in this moment, in this room, that maybe you have never declared that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you have never gotten to that point, but I believe maybe even right now the Spirit of God is just pulling on your heart to say it's time to surrender. Listen, I was in church for 17 years before I made that decision. You've been in church how long? I don't know, but that doesn't matter. What matters is who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Either he is the son of God or he's not. There's nothing in between. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Jesus only left us two options. Either he is who he said he is. He is the Lord or he's a lunatic and a madman. He is not anybody in between. He's not just a good man. He's not a moral teacher. He either is the God that came from heaven or he is crazy, but he is one of the other. And maybe today it's time to receive him as the savior of life. Let me tell you that the moment you make that decision, let me just tell you, it has the potential to change your future. It's changed mine. And so today, if you're ready to surrender your life to him and say, God, would you heal me of my sin? Will you forgive me? Will you make me new? I want to lead you in that prayer right now. Would you just say this with me? Say, Jesus, today I declare you are my Messiah. Today you are my Savior. Today I believe you are the Son of God that came out of heaven, that you died a sinner's death in my place, but God raised you from from death to life, and today I give my life to you. Today I place my hope in you. Today I say you can have this this space. God, invade me with your presence and your spirit. I give my life to you today. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, 
would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.